Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Archy with Jim Babka. I'm sc scratching and writing notes and trying to frantically figure out how we're going to reassemble all of this later on. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening or watching right now, know you're not alone. <laughs> so we want. So this is the part two of part two in which we want to cover things like claims, cover-ups, and politics. In yeah, to we're talking about how conspiracies work, and let's just get how right into it. I'm, yep. we, just to be clear, we're recording this right after we did the previous part, because uh, it just the first part was long, and we needed to be respectful of people's time. So here we are back again to finish up, uh, you know, really this, the same topic, how conspiracies work, but there are, to my mind, three very important things we still need to say about that. Yeah, and so we need to break each of those down. Start with the myths, the claims about, you know, the bigger the claim, the better the conspiracy, right? Usually people believe the opposite, right? They say that if the conspiracy has too many actors in it, it's not true. They just, they dismiss it. And they treat this like it's a trump card. Like if, okay, your conspiracy is so big that it cannot possibly be true. Right. Birds aren't big, real, right? Yeah. Big, consp <laughs> <laughs> big conspiracies happen all the time. And it is not necessarily impossible. So, you know, those, one of the things they'll say is, well, if this would have happened, people would have talked. And there's two things that can be said about that. Number one, no, not necessarily so. The Manhattan Project was kept a secret for a very long time. And what was, was said or what was done, there were lots and lots of people involved and they didn't talk. And... Uh, it was only after the war that some of the people began speaking and it's taken a lot of time for us to get a much fuller picture of the story. And this is what tends to happen. So it, it is the case that you could have lots of actors involved in something and they won't talk. But on the flip side, there are many times when people have talked and they haven't been heard. They've been written off as a kook or a nut job. I just want you to recall what happened with Edward Snowden. Yeah, I was just thinking of Snowden. Okay, so Edward Snowden gets on a plane and he goes to China. He meets up with a filmmaker and a uh, and two reporters, three people. He meets up with three people and gives them everything he can as quickly as he can in a matter of hours. And then he attempts to flee the country and he does get out and he ends up in Russia. He has in, uh, the Soviet. Uh, in, he has designs to get past Russia and does not make it out because our government revokes his passport. And so he stays there. And a narrative begins to develop that he's actually a spy, that he's done something wrong here. Now, I remember that year because uh, uh, <laughs> there was even a high-level Politico that went on uh, Jay Leno's show at the time. Like, there was people going on and saying, hey, he's, he's lying. He's making things up. This didn't happen. 
So a rumor would get out that he was going to say the following, you know, this following thing would come out and they, uh, the, the director of the House Intelligence Committee would come out and say, uh, no, that didn't happen. Or the minority leader of the House, Nancy Pelosi, would come out and say, no, that didn't happen. Or Dianne Feinstein. Was, I think it was Rogers, Feinstein, Pelosi, and Obama. All went out on a limb. And he would, they'd come out with, those three people would come out with another piece of information and it would saw the limb off behind the people that these major politicos were making the claims. And eventually that summer they shut up. Because every time they denied he had something, it turned out he had it. Yeah. And the tendency of the state is to and is to make those people appear uh, immoral, uh, led by bad motives, possibly work in league with the enemy, uh, foolish. Um, They'll do something to attack their character that has nothing to do with the conspiracy itself. Oh, he's a traitor, this, obviously. Yeah, this fear causes people to not speak up, right? There are people who maybe fear their life or their career or their place with their friends and family and society who recognize they're going to be attacked this way and choose not to engage in the discussion because of it. But... Along the way, some do talk, and they don't get heard. So I just want to make that clear. This happens a lot. Secondly, there's this thing called plausible deniability. And right. it's particularly capricious. It, about Hitler, they said that his people worked towards the Fuhrer. What it involves is the President of the United States, This we saw this in Watergate, for example, there's certain things that we know that Richard Nixon would want us to do, but we can't talk about the president. We saw this with Ronald Reagan uh, in Iran-Contra. We don't want to talk to the president. A mob boss could say, I have a pebble in my shoe that's really irritating me, and I need you to take it out. That means they want somebody whacked, right? But they don't say the name. They don't go on record. Everybody kind of understands what they're implying, and they want the leader to be able to have the ability to say, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't authorize this. I didn't plan this. And they all kind of work towards the Fuhrer. They try to do what they believe he would want to be done, as opposed to what he actually directed or commanded. And this makes proving or understanding what happened in a given situation harder, infinitely, um, because certain people have the ability to say, well, I didn't know. And... Whether or not that's true in reality, it is true in maybe documentation, or it is true in, con in recorded conversation, or it is true in eyewitness testimony that so-and-so never said that that's what they wanted to have happen. Then there's the noble lie. So this has been, you know, in, the entire intelligence community operates under a philosophy outlined by Winston Churchill called the big lie, that, that there is... There is a way that two wrongs can make a right. That there actually is a wisdom and there is a virtue of extreme importance in telling the right lie at the right time. And so a great deal of the, of the I mean, a great many of the people that engage in lying to the American people about what's happening now today or even in the past are doing so because they have some institution they're looking to protect, some reputation they're looking to preserve. They believed, as I said earlier, 
Um, it is a mistake. I said this in the previous installment here. It is a mistake to assume that everybody is evil in the transaction. They actually believe they're doing the right thing. This lie protected people. This lie saved lives. This lie allowed us to defeat our enemy. This lie solved this problem. And so they believe that to, that, that wrong led to a right. It was the lie itself that was the virtue. And this also makes it hard to get at various pieces of information. If you're looking to preserve an institution, you can use our classification system, the governance classification system, to keep stuff off the table. And we'll cover about more about that a little bit later. If you're, You can also destroy evidence. And it is hardly ever the case that anybody involved in the destruction of evidence at the federal government level for an intelligence purpose gets in any trouble whatsoever. One of the things that's so startlingly, startlingly interesting about Watergate is that it did bring down a president. That's stunning. It's a real crime, and the cover-up subsequent to that crime, engineered by the top levels of people at the White House, and it actually did bring down a president. Most of the things that we've gone after presidents, the things that we've had for recent impeachments, have not been this kind of conspiracy that rises to you know like an actual crime. There are crimes committed by virtually every president, but they don't result in actual impeachment. This that's when this like kind of extraordinary in that basis. But we lose a lot of evidence in various situations through the classification system they they or through the destruction of evidence the outright destruction of it and no one is held accountable for these things and then lastly under this heading i would put compartmentalization and i really 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 want people to understand compartmentalization this is so key compartmentalization means that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing and it means that you can also tell one story to one group of actors in the lead up to an event and tell another story to another group of actors in the lead up to the event. And neither of them are the complete picture. And, and at least one of them could be completely false. So you can do this kind of misdirection where people, and this is another reason why it's wrong to assume that everyone's motives are bad because one group of people may believe that they were on a mission to do X and that wasn't the real mission. The real mission was A. Yeah. But they didn't have that picture. They only had their X piece of the puzzle. And it was either not true or it was only a piece of the truth. The bigger picture was A. And so it's possible that you could have compartments going on all over the place. And our government knows this so well that they sold this idea to us with Al-Qaeda. Donald Rumsfeld went on national television. He held up a, a picture of a cave and showed all these different cave. They have these cave structures and they had some sense of how the caves were constructed and how they had these tiers. And there was these people up here and these other people in the secret level here and blah, blah, blah. And how they had ventilation systems and different compartments and they had an alternate path out and the whole nine yards, except it all turned out to be crap. Yeah, they were using caves, but they were using caves the same way any one of us would use a cave, especially if there's a storm. You might go and hide inside it for a little while. Let the rain pass. That's how they were using caves because caves were there. There was no elaborate constructed structure here. And they were suggesting that then these terrorists 
had cells, right? And they were in different locations and they had their own set of instructions. And those cells weren't just in those caves. They spread out into the United States of America. They could be here right now. They're like a bomb waiting to go off. They have orders, they have training, they're doing certain things that we just can't know where they are. We've got to find their networks of support. And they aren't going to necessarily know of each other. They have compartmentalization. So, I believed all of this, people. This was part of what it, how it went down. None of this turned out to be true. And it, yeah. Okay. But the reason your government would teach you something like that is that is exactly the way that they would spend your defense dollars. Exactly. I was going to say, this they is how military intelligence of work. caves, And then they would use intelligence, would have various compartmentalized cells. Yep. They yep. are revealing a means or a method by which they behave. Yes. Yes. Anytime I hear anybody say that, you know, they couldn't, you know, that needs to assume that everybody involved was evil or like this thing was all these people involved in it. So it's because it's so big, it can't possibly have happened. They're basically saying it's impossible to gang stab Caesar. You know, someone will talk, but they do. They do, they do anyway. talk. They do yeah. talk. And it turns out that it's not some elaborate plot in many cases. And in other cases it is because they are capable of compartmentalizing how they're going to get things done. So because I've said an awful lot, I want to say something simple to kind of wrap up this point and be clear. One of the things that's in the intelligence playbook for our government is for them to compartmentalize what it is that they're doing and to layer on top of it plausible deniability. So the order does not go all the way up to the top. It's an actor somewhere below. The information is either classified or destroyed, and beneath that, the people that are involved in the structure don't know what the other people involved in the structure did. And this happens a lot. This is how I'll, it works. Go, I'll go one step further and suggest to you that people do not... No, let's cut that. Let's cut that. Let's move on to the next thing. I'm sorry. Make a mark at that point. Got it. And then let's go into cover-up strategies. Three, two, I'll introduce... Thank you. Okay, so now we've talked about uh, one aspect <laughs> of it. How do we cover up all of this stuff that we've been propagating through compartmentalization and plausible deniability? Because there are actual strategies for doing this. You've been hearing a lot in recent years about disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Malinformation is a relatively new word. Misinformation uh, is, a, is a, a weaker word. Uh, disinformation. These words have existed, but they've seen a big spike in their usage just in the last few years. Sure. Because now we have technology, we can leverage them. Yeah. Well, it turns out that the biggest purveyor on the planet of disinformation is, without a doubt, the state. Oh, Governments yeah. everywhere lie. And their number one target for lying, their number one target is their own people. You are the enemy, my friends, of your government. Your government does not trust you. Gary Nolan, I appear on his show virtually every Thursday. They have a catchphrase that he and his producer, Brian Hansen, like to use to describe why government treats us all like children on a variety of issues. They will say in unison, in chorus, why does the government do this? Because you're too stupid. They'll say that together. Disinformation is also because you can't be trusted. You're too stupid. You're not moral enough. 
you might be one of the problem, part of the problem. And so we can't tell you all. We have to treat all of you badly. We have to give you the mushroom treatment. They are the biggest purveyors of disinformation on the planet. And they have one, I'll give you a specific uh, tool that's in their disinformation kit, and that's the false flag. We think we're so sophisticated and so smart. And even the people who, by the way, say, did you get your uh, degree from a Google search? They think they're so sophisticated and smart. But routinely, the smartest, the best and the brightest have fallen for false flags. So uh, Vietnam War was escalated off of the incident at the Gulf of Tonkin. False flag. Iraq was started as a war uh, on the basis of uh, Saddam having nuclear weapons capability. False flag. Like this, they they lie. So th they, they are purveyors of disinformation. Um, they have a technique that they're also able to do called clouding the waters. And what I mean is they can take something and make it more opaque instead of more transparent. Right. Um, they can uh, put people out there who will write various pieces, true or false, where they will overemphasize a particular truth to disguise a negative. This is malinformation, by the way. So <laughs> one of the things our social media overlords want to do is they want to end malinformation too, which is where you tell the gospel truth, but the gospel truth leads to an, a result that the establishment doesn't want. It could lead to a disastrous or bad result if everybody knew this, right? The government would not be trusted if the truth got out. So one of the ways to deal with malinformation is to cloud the water. It's to make things more opaque and hazy. It's to introduce another, um, another set of facts so that it's the picture is less clear. These, can, these can be diversions, distractions, or they can be overstatements of the truth. I'm thinking spillover gang right now. Uh, say a little more. Yeah, so... There was an effort, and I don't want to use the words, but I can't think of a better word for it right now, to cover up the truth. Okay. And they presented a study that got republished, and that became the basis for the, uh, censor media, the social media censorship regime, right. except that the study itself was bogus. It was the appearance of science. Right. Okay. And to this hour, you're not allowed to say that it is a a lab leak, you have to say it looks like it's a lab leak. It leans that direction because this piece of, of mal, uh, actually it turns out to be disinformation. This piece of disinformation exists out there and it has clouded the waters so that we are unable to resolve or get to the bottom of the truth. And legally speaking, maybe we have a hard time convicting anybody because of the rules of evidence, but historically speaking, the truth is pretty evident. Yeah. Okay, there's another technique that they use that are part of clouding the water specifically that needs to be singled out all by itself. It's called the limited hangout. Explain now, this. In the I'm not sure yeah, about this. this. This is really shifty stuff. All right, let's say you're in a position where you're about to be exposed. You did something you shouldn't have done, and a new piece of evidence is going to drop, and it's going to expose all of it. And you have a sense that this is coming down the pike. So what you decide to do is you decide to get in front of the story and you decide to tell your own version of events 
so that that is the first registered version of the truth on that statement. You're going to reveal a new piece of evidence, which is going to cause everybody to come look at you. Wow. And steal the thunder of what's to come because you revealed the piece of evidence. But you are either only going to give a portion, a tiny portion of the truth, or worse, you're going to be good enough at this that you're going to use it to further mislead people and make sure that nobody pays attention to what's about to reveal, be more completely revealed by some researcher, by some journalist, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to diffuse it by telling a small part of the truth, possibly in a mal in a disinformed or malinformed way. So we call it lim limited in the sense that it's a tiny piece of the truth. We call it a hangout in the sense that they basically put a new piece of evidence that they didn't previously concede on the table. So this is the Friday afternoon uh, press release. <laughs> right after everybody, yes. or the, the yes. October surprise in a bigger. But then sense. they can say, well, you know, when you come along, when someone else comes along with a new piece of evidence about you, you can say, well, I already told you that. Right. Right. But maybe there's more there, but it kind of discredits or diminishes the impact of what is to come. That's a limited hangout. I'm with you, though. Yeah. Okay. Then there's sheep dipping and scapegoat. I hadn't heard this before. <laughs> sheep dipping? Sheep dipping is where you're able to take someone who was maybe involved or not involved at all, not central to conspiracy, and make it look like they were the ones that did it. And this works a lot like the scapegoating mechanism that we've talked about and will talk about in future episodes. I've been, we've been trying to do the scapegoating episode for a year. A year at uh, least. We've, and we've even attempted to record it, just didn't come out like I liked it. So you, we got to do it again. Um, and I will. Uh, in the Girardian sense, which which a scapegoat in the Girardian sense is a very specific thing. They are a person who gets blamed for the totality of the crime, who is not responsible for the totality of the crime. They may even be completely innocent. They're not necessarily, they may be partially to blame. So I want to pick out a specific example. I do not believe that... Um, the other scientists that were around Anthony Fauci that helped him cover up the lab leak are responsible for everything that happened, all the bad things that happened over the next few years with COVID. I don't happen to think that. That doesn't mean that they were innocent because they participated in a cover-up of important information, but they don't bear the totality of the blame. Another way to say this might be correlation versus causation. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Some things are correlative yep. and somebody even may have played a role that was somewhat causative, but they are not the cause capital T capital C. They're not the cause. They're not culpable in that sense. Well, sure. Because we've compartmentalized enough, <laughs> but the mob will show up then and they will say, we're going to blame this person. And that's yep. going to solve our issue, our emotional issue with it. We've got our vengeance on them. We're okay. And that'll bring peace back. That's the role of the scapegoat is to lay all the blame on one character who is not the true cause. They are maybe a partial cause or a, a, a small cause or completely innocent. And that's what a scapegoat is. So in an in intelligence sense, if you're about to do something that is wrong or bad, you can sheep dip. You can take somebody and basically paste all of the grime of the crime onto them and say, this is our person or our persons or our group that is to blame for what happened. 
This is important because even when you have a situation like 9-11 where Al-Qaeda has a plot to attack the United States, even in that instance, there is blame to share. Osama bin Laden told the world long before 9-11 and more than once he issued something called fatwas. And this became sure. a big news yeah. item in November of 2023 because there was a whole new generation of, of, of young people who were either too young or not yet born who read Osama bin Laden's statement for the first time and heard of it and found out it wasn't that he hated us for our freedom. It wasn't that he, uh, um, his, his motives, he had a list of them and they were all historically accurate. So there is a, an opportunity to pace blame. So what uh, false flags can also be a form of sheep dipping. We're blaming a, uh, a particular group said they're the ones that attacked us. Uh, Hitler blamed the communists when he was first taking over the government for the Reichstag fire. And he used that night. They called it the night of the long knives to take out political allies that were not completely on the team as well as his enemies like this. So you can make up a false flag. You can create a situation where you blame somebody who is either innocent or not culpable as the cause. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. And then last there's blackmail. This can be done through threats and coercion. This can be done through money and positions of power. People's silence can be purchased. And frequently, this apparently happens. If someone will say, well, you don't want to do that because bad things will come your way. Or, you know, we're, we're not just going to use a stick. We'll use a carrot. We've got some really juicy opportunity for you. Or you're, you're going to make your life better in certain ways. And, and this is used because they have, uh, the state has vast resources. Intelligence has resources to suppress various information. This is, this is a common tactic. They would prefer to use the carrot as often as possible. Right? They don't want to. <laughs> there's a great line godfather uh, in the godfather you know blood is a, a big expense right that's not the, the direction they would prefer to go they would like to get people to just get along with the team and if we got to give them a little bit of money or reward to make them play along then let's do that and then problem solved so those are some of the cover-up strategies that are used and because those strategies exist it makes it harder when there actually is a conspiracy to get at the truth So let's talk about the way that conspiracy is implemented in the world. And that, of course, by, is our <laughs> definition of politics. Yeah. Uh, lies, damn lies in politics, right? Politicians yeah. lie. You say that and everybody's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's the basis of stand-up bits on late-night television, right? Oh, this politician lied once again. So Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So they're, they're, let's talk about some of the ways that they lie. Uh, there are uh, there is propaganda, and we think of this mostly in a war sense, right? Um, there's certain things that we are told by the state that are designed to advance their cause, and there are certain things our enemies are told by the very same state designed to advance the cause. There's something called psychological warfare that can be waged. Both are forms of propaganda, and we're sitting here in December of 2023 having this conversation. October 7th, there was an attack of by Hamas forces against 
the the state of Israel, the residents of the state of Israel. And within a few days of that, there was a story that started up, and I had people start texting me about babies being beheaded. I hope I get the order this right, because I don't remember what the order was. There's, they were burned alive, and they were beheaded. There were two different stories, and they literally was one was one day, and one was the next. And I immediately had caused the question whether or not they actually even had a number. And famously, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, said out loud that he had seen this. He'd seen the video. Well, the truth was his aides had to walk that back instantly because he hadn't, because such a thing had not specifically happened. This is a very, very specific event. It was said to hype. And I was like, well, okay, why did I know that this was something to be suspicious of? I told the people that I was confer conferring with right away, I would wait for the facts to come in. I don't yet believe this story. It may have happened. I'm not denying it happened, but I want to wait. That's my grace approach. I'm going to wait for the evidence to come in because I have enough experience with propaganda. Yes. Because the British government had created a piece of propaganda in World War I that the Germans, the Krauts, as they called them, were bayoneting Belgian babies. Okay. Well, it turned out there were atrocities that went on, but that one did not happen. Okay. Uh, that wasn't it in the lead up to the first Gulf War, the first Iraq conflict that the United States had. All right. Yeah. A young Kuwaiti woman came and sat down before the Congress, gave testimony that they had taken infants out of incubators, uh, Iraqi soldiers had, and stacked them like firewood and left with the incubators. And, of course, obviously imperiling these small children. But that did not happen either. And part of the reason we know that didn't happen is that that woman was in the United States at the time of the event that she was describing. Nevertheless, we didn't find that out right away. What there were... There was at least one United States senator, at least one who stood up. I, there may have been more, but I'm aware of one specific name who stood up and said this was a compelling or a large part of why he was voting for a resolution to authorize then President George H.W. Bush to, to be able to use force to expel Iraq from Kuwait. So, but it wasn't true. So, propaganda comes out and often it is exaggerated or false. And it turns out that uh, our government had a program that was exposed in the 1970s called Operation Mockingbird. Um, they were able to restrict newspapers from reporting certain events. They were able to um, use this uh, as a tool in foreign governments as well. They would report in various relationships where they had members of the media on their payroll both domestic and foreign. And of course, those members of the media on the payroll would report certain things out that were the types of facts that they would have wanted people to have, even if they weren't true. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that the reporters knew they were lying. They, they wanted access to this source or they were being paid in some way to share this information. And they probably felt, whether it was true or not, that it was, like we said earlier, a justified or good or humane or necessary or virtuous lie. 
or they believed that they were telling the truth at the time and they were just willing to accept at face value and report accordingly. But Operation Mockingbird was literally something that was in existence and exposed by uh, committees in the 1970s, particularly the church committee. And I can't help thinking of two things we've talked about on this show before. One is agenda setting, right? There's yep. a media agenda setting theory where they have the ability to control the narrative. So what is there on the front page of the paper? What is there at the top of the radio news hour? What is there at the top of the headlines on your internet news feed? Whatever is coming through you most to you most commonly on your social media, these are the things again and again and again that we spend our time talking about. And I know from my experience having been a radio host and a guest radio host that the topics I chose, the ones that make the phones ring, were the ones that were at the top of the agenda setting cycle. Those are the things that people were discussing, and those are the things that you could get the most calls about because they were being discussed. So the media has an ability to set the standard for what it is we are discussing. And if you're discussing one thing, that means you're not discussing other things. There's a long list of them. Those things are not getting discussed or are not going to get as much attention because they're not up in the agenda. Go one step further and get into the philosophy of Baudrillard, which is commonly understood in the movie The Matrix, right? We exist in a, in, a, in a fictionalized universe where we don't know what the truth is. We only have what we've been told. And so people will say, well, we already know this for a fact or that for a fact or the other thing for a fact. And it turns out that it takes a long time for the truth to arrive on a lot of things. And a lot of what people think they know turns out not to be true. A lot of the initial reporting of an event ends up failing them. So if you add in the perniciousness of, perniciousness of the fact that the government has had in the past programs, and I suspect to this day still does, where they can control the media narrative. And you're going to say that you, you can quote the Atlantic or the New York Times or the Washington Post or MSNBC or Fox News, and you somehow or other have some hold on the truth? Most people haven't done enough homework to be able to say that. I'm always chagrined reading articles where they, they unnamed sources close to the, you know, person of interest or unnamed if officials within the government well if they aren't named how do we know for sure yep that's exactly right that's exactly right and, and and again this is there's a level of homework that's required that is pretty immense and most of us don't have the time for even even me sitting here doing the show I, you know one of a recurring theme between bill and i ladies and gentlemen is how many things i'm trying to research and haven't quite gotten done yet it's just, or that I'm never going to get to, and I'm frustrated because I have some sense. I know what's going on, but I need to have my facts lined up before I get here to say them to you. And most people don't have the time to devote to this that I've got. So anyway, let's move on to the next one because we've got, in yeah. fact, for this one, we've got a great quote we can put oh up on gosh. the screen here. What the state hides. <laughs> uh, I, I love this quote. It's from Russell Baker. And uh, we borrowed this from a meme. Uh, you know, we're, this show is sponsored by uh, the Zero Aggression Project, the sister organization is Downsize DC, zeroaggressionproject.org. And uh, I love this quote. He says, the government commonly leaks classified documents when it deems publication convenient to manipulate public opinion to its advantage. Only the government, it seems, has a legal right to manipulate opinion with hot documents. In other words... If you have, if you leak documents from the same file that would make the government look bad, then you've committed a crime. Pentagon you've papers, literally, right? 
Yeah, you've lit there, there, perfect example. You've literally committed a crime. Uh, the Pentagon Papers and Julian Assange are two, two big examples of this. These were actual, factual truths shared with the world that it was punishable. It's a punishable offense to have done so. But the government leaks stuff on purpose all the time to shape public opinion. So they're yeah. not lying to you. They're giving you the truth, but they're giving you the truth that's convenient to them. And they're withholding the truth that is inconvenient to their cause. They're oh, doing this all the time. That. Inconvenient yes. truth, huh? Then there's <laughs> the Blue Ribbon Commission, right? Oh okay, gosh. we've got a big problem. So we're going to solve that problem. We're going to get some of the best, most trusted people in public life to get together, sit on a committee. By the way, they don't do much. They have staffs that do 90% of the work and they control what that commission even sees and what that commission renders judgment on and what that commission has an opportunity to ask questions about. They control the flow of that information. There's paid staff to do that. And uh, they put together this Blue Ribbon Commission to get to the bottom. This ostensibly is to get to the bottom. Now, in private conversations, when they put these Blue Ribbon Commissions together, they're very honest with each other about what it is that they're attempting to do. They want very much to put an end to any questions that are being raised. And they want to restore the reputation of the state in the process or the reputation of the actors of the state who may have done something questionable or put us in a bad situation. Paul Craig Roberts has a great quote that sums up the actual purpose and how this works. The purpose of a government commission is to place the blame where it does the least damage politically. So are there like talented writers behind the scenes trying to organize all of the inconvenient facts into a narrative that they can sell and get away into with? Into a narrative that serves. That serves, right. Yes, yes. This is the number one purpose of a Blue Ribbon Commission. It is not to get at the truth. And one of the things that happens in so many of these cases is that the commission members themselves over time will talk as time goes on about how bad things were inside the commission. There are two United States senators that were on the 9-11 commission who believe the entire thing was a farce. It's the official statement of our government as to what happened, how it happened, who was involved, and so on. And they will tell you it's a farce. That the real truth was hidden and, and, and that, they, that they were not allowed to ask a, a variety of questions. So there's a, a very current, modern example. And this is not the exception. This is the rule. This is what Blue Ribbon Commissions exist to do. They're part of a cover-up mechanism, frankly, in most cases. But what their real purpose is, just to be clear, is to restore the reputation of the state uh, and the actors that commissioned the commission in the first place. They're trying to basically make sure you still like them, you still trust them, and they're going to use their most trusted faces to say that. Well, we can see how well that's working recently. Yes. Then there is the mentality required to solve a crime. And oh, I want to suggest... I'm not, I'm not smart enough to figure this one out, Jim. Well, I no, I, I want to... This actually... <laughs> you are, actually. You are. Um... I want to make a specific argument for open-mindedness to conspiracies. Um, prosecutors and detectives are conspiracy theorists. Let me say that again. Prosecutors and detectives are conspiracy theorists. Now, it may turn out that their conspiracy is false, and if they're doing their job correctly, they're doing their job correctly, they're completely open to the idea that whatever hypothesis they're operating under and trying to solve why a given bad event happened 
why a crime occurred. If they're open to the fact that the parties that they initially are theorizing are innocent or didn't do it in the way that they initially hypothesized, then they're doing their job correctly. But they are going to have a hypothesis. They are going to have a theory. They are going to develop that because of evidence. They believe the evidence is leading them in that direction. And they will, in the case of the prosecutor in particular, be very zealous in trying to accumulate additional evidence once they're fairly convinced of the fact. That is a conspiracy theory encapsulated. That is a conspiracy theorist. Every prosecutor worth their salt, every detective worth their salt is a conspiracy theorist. I'm saying that if you are not open to the possibility of conspiracy in, in, in situations where they actually occurred, you cannot see the actual evidence. You will miss it. So you cannot just simply hand wave something off in many cases. I jokingly referred to flat earth because that one's pretty easy to wave off. But in, in many cases, you can't because you don't have enough of the facts. And the only way that you're going to know to find them, to even begin to look for them, is if you have some open-mindedness. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you hanging here, but in, in an upcoming episode, I'm going to show you where I and a group of my friends did precisely this. This openness contrary to all uh, U.S. establishment resources, allowed us to see something nobody else did. Now everybody admits. And I have the proof that we did this, and I will share it with you. But you have to have that mentality coming into this because of lies, damn lies, and politics. It's going to be a good episode, people. Trust me. <laughs> uh, one more thing. I want to close with Julian Assange. Oh, Yes. Uh, and a passionate hero. plea, exactly, a passionate plea uh, for his liberation. The grace position is that that man should be free. The proper legal position is for that man to be free. He has already received undue punishment. He's already essentially been imprisoned and is now presently actually imprisoned for not committing any crime. He told you the truth about the activities of state and state-related actors in the United States and in foreign nations across the planet. He told you what they did in war. He told you what they did in commerce. He told you the truth about them. And he didn't actually tell you these things. Let me be more precise. He revealed their conversations. He revealed their discussions. Now, at the outset of WikiLeaks, he laid out a manifesto. And the manifesto was a worthy read, worthy of your time. The manifesto suggests that there are conspiracies all over the place. And he had a very specific method for unraveling them, and that was to decrease the level of trust they had in from one party to another. What he wanted to do was get inside their communication channels, pull the information they were sharing with each other out, and put sunlight on them, show them to the world. Now, when that happens, Bill, when that happens, that means that, like, let's say there's a piece of uh, discussion between you and I, and somebody reveals that discussion. One of the people that I'm going to suspect is you, and one of the people you're going to suspect is me as the source of the leak. Or sure, we're going to wonder who else that. was sitting in that channel between us or was in those meetings between us and whether they can be trusted. So... The speed at which a conspiracy can move, the effectiveness that it can have, has a lot to do with, with trust 
and it has a lot to do with being able to use the simplest conspiracy, uh, simplest methods of communication. So if every time I have to convey information to you, I have to meet you in person. And maybe we have to put the cone of silence on our heads. That's going to really restrict the flow of information. If conversely, we can just make a phone call real quick and we can say it out loud. We don't even have to speak in code. We can be very blunt. Go kill so-and-so. Then we can move rather fast. Sure. So conspiracies would be impeded by breaking down trust in the parties involved and trust in the methods of communication involved. The more we have to ensure that we're being careful what we say and the means by which we say it and to whom we say it, the slower or more debilitated we are. Maybe some conspiracies don't even occur because of the difficulty. In fact, if I know that at any given moment somebody's in and got the information, maybe I don't pursue the conspiracy at all. And he believed crime, state-level crime, could be reduced dramatically as a result of this factor. And you know what? His opponents believe that too, to this very hour, which is why they say we have to block this man away. We have to try him for a crime that only an American can be guilty of, which is a, a, a form of, of treason or sedition against his uh, a government. It is impossible for a citizen of another country to commit sedition against the United States. You're not you're not a member of the United States. You don't yeah. owe fealty to the United States. And by the way, I have a hard time with any civilian having that kind of responsibility. Period. So, you know, I look at a guy like Daniel Ellsberg. I look at a guy like Julian Assange. I look at a guy like Edward Snowden, and I see three heroes. Yeah. And Assange, though, was related to our episode saying that conspiracies exist all the time. And the way that we undo them is we find ways to make it easy for people to anonymously report the real conversations that occurred. Get us the transcript of the con uh, conversations. Help us validate what those are. We will put them up in a large database, like a Wikipedia almost, a WikiLeak, so that people can read. Now, you know, this, this might involve thousands and thousands of pages worth of material in any given instance. And hardly anybody's going to have the time to read it, but enough people will that it will bring sunlight to the situation and they can report the highlights to us, who was involved, what they said, what they said their motives were in some cases. And this is so dangerous to governments around the planet that they are all in agreement that we got to shut this down. The UK government was more than willing to engage in a false conspiracy to imprison him. While the United States had a conspiracy going on at the same time to figure out how to murder Julian Assange, both things were happening simultaneously. The UK's moved first and they got him in. They, 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 they got false charges against him. Those charges were eventually dropped, but they are still to this hour cooperating with the United States and holding him in a fundamentally wrong fashion. He's never been convicted. And the crime that they're charging with him is a sham. Why? Because Julian Assange believes in conspiracy theories and he explains how they work. So if you don't believe in me, but you claim to believe in Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and Daniel Ellsberg, then you have to, by definition, believe that the state routinely and regularly involved, engages in conspiracy. And the 
most gracious approach you can take is to A, have an open mind to that possibility and consider the evidence where you have the capacity to do so. B, be quiet where you don't. C, never insult anyone who engages in these kind of conspiracies. Now, Bill, what we're going to do here in upcome, in the future, in the near future, I hope and pray, is begin to give you some concrete examples of your government engaged in conspiracy. Some of them are very debatable, but we're going to show you that the story is not as open and shut as it seems and that authorities did not tell the truth in those situations, even if their story ultimately turned out to be true. They engaged in a period of, of misinformation, disinformation, malinformations, and outright lies, damned lies. Because I think it's important if we're going to build a more gracious world that we understand one of the forces that is actively combating the arrival of it.